What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Masters of Community podcast. My name is David Spinks, founder of CMX and VP of Community at Bevy. Each week, I bring you an expert who will help you take your community to the next level. Thank you so much for joining me. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, I just want to give you a quick heads up that my new book, The Business of Belonging, How to Make Community Your Competitive Advantage, is now available anywhere where you can buy books on Amazon and any bookstore. It is the complete collection of everything I've learned from the last 13 years and how to build community for your business and all of the frameworks and models that the CMX team has developed to teach businesses how to do this work. It's all in here. I really appreciate all your support. You can go and order it now. Hey everyone, today's interview is with Smiley Paswalski, my good friend who is the author of the new book, Friendship in the Age of Loneliness. Loneliness is a huge epidemic right now. The numbers that Smiley shares are really eye-opening, and a lot of them are from before COVID. So people are more lonely than ever. We're really struggling to find connection. We're turning to social media to find that sense of connection instead of actually forming deeper relationships with the people in our lives, our families, our closest friends. And so Smiley shares a ton of really valuable insights in this one on how to form more meaningful friendships in your life, how to help your members in your community form more meaningful relationships. Ton of good stuff in this one. Let's dive in. Smiley, welcome to the show, man. Great to be here, David. Thank you for having me. Big fan of your work. Likewise, man. I mean, you were a huge help for me recently in helping me publish my book. And I remember the first time I saw you speak was at Culture Summit, I believe. It was in New York, I think. No, Culture Summit would have been San Francisco. San Francisco? Yeah. So you were doing a talk on the Quarter Life Breakthrough, one of your previous books. And I was like, damn, that guy is a really good speaker. I wish I was that good of a speaker <laughs> and would love to talk to you one day. And then we got connected through our friend Noah Karish recently. Right. And you helped me out with a book. And now you're publishing your book in a couple of weeks. Yeah. The journey continues. <laughs> you know, like I fell into speaking from writing. I actually didn't even know that public speaking was a real career, but it turned out that you can actually make a living doing public speaking in a way that you can't really make a living being an author most of the time. <laughs> That's right. One of the first pieces of advice you gave me was that authors don't make any money on their books. <laughs> right. So figure out what it's going to help you make money with in other areas of your life and business, because the book itself won't do a lot. Correct. The book is the way that you connect with readers, connect with your audience, connect with your community. It's a calling card for your your work, your coaching, your consulting, your speaking, your products your other business. I mean, it's, I think, one of the most effective ways to reach people, but it's definitely not. A lot of people assume that if they get a book deal or publish with a major publisher or self-publish a great book or even sell thousands of copies of a book that, that they've got it made in the shade. And that's just not the case. The economics nope. don't, don't work out <laughs> like that. As anyone that's been down the road, and I've now been down the road three times, will tell you it's it looks really sexy on uh, Instagram and at Twitter and Facebook. But in reality, you will spend a lot of time writing, editing, being stuck, revising, marketing, and that will yield to changing people's lives, but not a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Unless you're like Michelle Obama, then you'll get a nice advance. Yes, then you're good. I think Michelle Obama's advance was 
or the Obamas maybe got a joint advance for $17 million. So that's pretty sweet. That's not bad. That's pretty good. I'd be happy with that. Yeah, me too. That would tie you over for a little bit. <laughs> a little bit higher than my advance. Just just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a tad. Just a touch. Just definitely in the same ballpark. A, a couple, couple zeros. A few zeros. Several zeros. <laughs> with that, you know, books being as hard as they are, you must be a glutton for punishment. Uh, writing your third book now. And and you've had some really interesting but very different topics. You had the quarter life breakthrough, then you wrote uh, the breakthrough speaker, all about how to be a great public speaker, and now you've signed up for a third round of of writing a book in yet another unique topic from your past books, friendship in the age of loneliness. What brought you to write this book? Why was this book really important for you to write today? Yeah. So a lot of people will see the title and be like, oh my God, that's so timely. The pandemic, you wrote a book about friendship during the pandemic. And that's actually <laughs> not the truth. Although it is very timely. Yeah, I started this project uh, more than three years ago. I actually started writing the beginning excerpts of this book, what turned out to be part of the introduction and the afterword um, in early 2017. So it stemmed from, I had just lost one of my best friends. So my my buddy Levi Felix, who was an amazing man, had died at the age of 32 from brain cancer, from a brain tumor. He was diagnosed about a year before his death, perfectly healthy, early 30s, living the life. Uh, Levi had started an amazing community called Camp Grounded, uh, which for those mm -hmm. that don't know, is a tech-free summer camp for adults. Uh, it's a digital detox. Levi was actually the first person to trademark the term digital detox, which now is, you know, very commonplace and used all around the world by corporate brands and is everywhere you look. But, you know, in early kind of 2010, 2012, Levi started kind of hosting these digital detox retreats for people to become more aware of their addiction to technology and live a more balanced life in the digital age. And he started this community called Camp Grounded, which was a summer camp for adults where we took about 200 adults at a time into the Redwoods in Mendocino, California for four days at a time. We took away their cell phones, their technology. You couldn't bring an Apple Watch or a MacBook. We locked them all up for four days. And people get there, they can't use their real name. So they have to use either a nickname from childhood or their own summer camp or a nickname they love, or they get a nickname. So you can't use your real name, can't talk about work. So there's no what do you do? can't tell time or ask what time it is. And there's no age. There's no, oh, I'm 22 years old. I'm 65. I work at Facebook. I work at LinkedIn. I'm an entrepreneur. I work at this nonprofit. So everyone kind of gets to be their true self and gets to really con connect authentically. And it really creates that environment. So Levi had built this movement of Camp Grounded, which uh, over the years, thousands of people ended up attending. We did 15 camps over the course of, of five years. And then all of a sudden, one day he got sick and a year later, he, he died from brain cancer. It's a terrible disease. And, you know, he had taught me so much and camp had changed so many people's lives. This experience of real in-person IRL community, off screen, uh, off technology, connecting in real life, being in nature, being mindful, the power of play, the power of authentic relating, authentic connection. I wanted to write about that and make sure that, you know, people remembered his story, his legacy and what happened at camp. So I started writing a little bit of just kind of a eulogy for Levi and, and some of the stories from camp in early 2017. 
And that was the origin of the book was really kind of remembering the power of in-person connection and friendship, right? Having, having lost one of my best friends. And then it grew as I was experiencing loneliness in the digital age. So it kind of started with friendship and loss. And then it grew as I experienced in my own life as someone very connected, very social. You know, I'm a public speaker. I'm out and about. But I was experiencing a really rough period of loneliness in those years after Levi had passed away. And I wanted to write about that too, kind of acknowledging the fact that, hey, this is a real issue. This is an actual epidemic that a lot of people are going through. That's powerful. I remember seeing that story. I remember at Camp Grounded and all the amazing programs that were run there and, and then seeing that story and reading about Levi. It was devastating. I didn't know him personally, but I, I remember that moment vividly. And everyone who spoke about him talked about just the incredible work that he did to build community. And it just seemed seemed like a very authentic dude. Yeah, I mean, you know, loss is hard always, no matter, you know, what age, who the person is, what they do. But to lose someone like that, who was just operating on such an incredible level of impact yeah. and inspiration and community, right? You know, we lose people and it's awful. And losing someone who is a community builder who had built what I like to, and I say this in the book, he had really built the world he wanted to live in. Right. And, and Priya Parker talks about this in The Art of Gathering, the power of kind of creating like a temporary alternate universe, a temporary alternate world with new rules and new language and new ideas. Even if it's a, a short container, what that can do for people in the span of an evening dinner party or a weekend or a four day experience or a week long experience can have tremendous transformational impacts on people's lives. And that's what camp really did. I mean, people people went to camp and emerged saying, you know, I had thought about taking my own life. I don't want to anymore. Right. I feel comfortable as a person who is gay. And I've never felt that before. I have never been happy in my partnership and I'm going to get out of it. I hate my job. I hate my career. I hate what I'm doing. I'm going to leave that job. I'm going to do something else. I'm going to move from the city that I'm living in because I don't like living there. These types of major life breakthroughs and transformations happened at camp, which is pretty amazing because at the end of the day, we were just basically being like, okay, go run around like you're five yeah. years old again. But it was actually really powerful because, you know, Levi had, had realized that, you know, especially young people, but everyone was spending eight to 10 to 12 hours a day looking at a screen. People were addicted to their devices. You know, people would rather uh, look at their phone than have sex. <laughs> And that we needed to kind of have a, a wake-up call, a little universal wake-up call of what does it feel like to not have that device by our side? And what does it feel like to make eye contact with people and play with them in real life? Yeah. So did Camp Grounded continue on after that or did it kind of fade? It happened for a year when Levi was sick and then the year after Levi had passed. So the last one was summer of 2017. Uh, and then right. it was on hiatus and it was actually supposed to come back. So Levi's partner, Brooke and, and family had sold it to a man named Forrest, who was a childhood friend of Levi's. And it was all set to come back for summer 2020. And of course, <laughs> the pandemic happened. So <laughs> kind of a, you know, you can think of that as as Levi, uh, playing a little prank or, or messing on, <laughs> on, on being like everyone was so excited for grounded to come back and then oh, it's man. like wait a second nope not gonna happen <laughs> this year 
but it's a little TBD about the future. Hopefully that it'll be back. I do, you know, one of the things that I feel like in the book is that it's inspired so many people to bring that back in just aspects of their daily life that aren't, you don't have to have a 300 person summer camp in the Redwoods to bring back the lessons of Camp Grounded, right? So a lot of people have started their own dinner salons, creativity groups, accountability groups, other summer camps for adults kind of spinoffs. It really kind of sparked this movement and just also just a living a more intentional life in the digital age and having a more healthy relationship with social media and technology. That was a little bit of the intention of the book was, could I put in, you know, 150 to 200 pages, some of the lessons learned there so that we can bring aspects of camp into our daily lives, especially in a year like this last one, where we, you know, we really couldn't in person have these big social gatherings and have that kind of, you know, celebration, joy, play, physical touch that so powerful at a place like camp. Right. So I want to definitely get into the the practical tips and advice and things that you've found work really well for this. But you know, you so you started writing this in 2017. You saw the impact that community like Kent Granted would have. And then we had the pandemic. And in the very title of your book, you say it's the age of loneliness. What is the current state of loneliness in our world? Why are we in the age of loneliness? Yeah, so the statistics are pretty alarming. And they're alarming prior to an entire year of social isolation and lockdown. So yeah. reported in, in 2019, 61% of Americans were lonely. That's nearly two thirds, 80% of Gen Z and 70% of millennials. So basically, the majority, the vast majority of young people consider themselves lonely. 40% of 16 to 24 year olds feel lonely often, very often, according to the BBC in England. Uh, the average American hasn't made a new friend in the last five years. And it's a global issue, right? If you look at data from Japan, from Europe, it's this is a global epidemic. And again, all of this data is from prior to yeah. a year of social isolation. There was some early data that came out in the, in the first month or two of quarantine that showed that people were not exhibiting large degrees of loneliness, kind of maybe a feeling of solidarity, or we're in this together, we're all going through totally. this common experience. Everyone was on Zoom kind of checking in with people. But there has been recent data that came out in the last couple of months from Harvard's School of Education showing uh, increasing rates of loneliness, especially among young adults and mothers during the pandemic, uh, to very alarming levels, especially the toll on young people. There was one study that found that you know, I think it was close to half of young people exhibiting now some form of what would be considered a quote unquote mental illness. Wow. From the pandemic, you know, from anxiety to stress, to having really hard thoughts. So yes, it's it's a big problem. And it was a large problem prior to all this. So I one of the, you know, main takeaways, which is so alarming about this is that we know this is an issue, and yet we also know that the counter to loneliness is at the very core of living a healthy and happy and long life. <laughs> the data yeah. shows that social relationships, it's its a, so powerful when you hear it because you're like, yeah, that's so simple. Why are we not focused on this? But social relationships are the key to a healthy and happy life. Data was, uh, Harvard did a study that found that the people that have the most, the healthiest relationships at the age of 50 are going to be the healthiest at the age of 80, period. 
that is the key to a long and happy life, right? Social connections play a vital role in your health, influencing everything from your cardiovascular system to your immune system. It can be an indicator of, of onset cognitive disorder or Alzheimer's. This is everything, right? And yet so many of us are chasing, you know, wealth, power, <laughs> money, prestige, follower accounts, success and work, all of these things. And it's like, okay, spend more time with your friends. We know this is the, this is the cure. And yet it's actually something that we don't do. And it's also very hard to do. So I thought it was, it was time that a book came out that was about this. And obviously there have been a lot of books about the importance of human connection, but very few have focused on the friendship piece. Mm -hmm. They're a little bit more often on the connect with strangers, uh, meeting people at a conference, uh, having more people in your life. All of those are really important. And I touch on them too. And I think we do need more. We've seen in the past year, the power of weak ties, the power of just having more people in your life and what we what we lose when we don't have that. But I also kind of wanted to like to give a little bit of voice to what does it look like to just spend more time with the people you already really care about or go deeper with a few people in your life and say, I want you to be a close friend in my life, right? right? I want to, instead of seeing you every few months, see you on a more frequent basis. I want to have really deep hangs. I want to go on overnight adventures. I want to put friendship more at the center of my life, not just something that I do when I have a little bit of extra time. So we only right. spend 4% of our time with our friends. And meanwhile, we're, we're spending, you know, looking at our phone every 12 minutes, we're spending 50 minutes a day on Facebook, 50 minutes a day on Instagram, you know, young people are on the internet, quote unquote, almost constantly, right? <laughs> we need a little bit of a, a wake up call. And I, you know, wanted to kind of create a practical book that kind of gives an array of how you can spend more time with your friends. Yeah. So I'm curious, because we've seen this impact before COVID. And a lot of I remember reading a lot of articles and studies that attribute it to social media. And the kind of it's like it scratches the itch of connection in our brains, but it doesn't quite satisfy the same actual core need that we have to connect with people. And so I'm curious if you've seen whether it's like, how people define loneliness? Is it loneliness in specific types of networks or specific areas in their life? Or if you found that there's like different definitions of friendship that maybe like we use a term to describe a lot of different kinds of relationships, right. but there's a specific kind that actually moves a needle for our health and happiness. Right. So I think, you know, I turn to the, the researchers on this, right? Because, you know, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a, a scientist, but the psychology shows social isolation and loneliness are different things, right? So you can be socially isolated and not feel lonely. You can be just, mm. you know, an introvert or a loner or someone that likes to spend a lot of time at home or someone that likes to do play video games a lot or is a writer that wants to be at a cabin in the woods. You can do that for hours, for days and not feel lonely. Great. Mm -hmm. But you can also have a lot of social connections and still feel lonely, right? So psychologists uh, Julianne Holt-Lundstad and Timothy B. Smith did are kind of pioneers in the research on this, and they write, social isolation denotes having few connections or interactions, whereas loneliness involves a subjective perception of isolation, the discrepancy be between one's desired and actual level of connection. So it's the disconnect between where your connection levels are and where you want them to be or where you think they should be right? That's what loneliness is. It's that gap. 
And I think one of the reasons, you know, I, it's hard to pinpoint the actual cause of this, but one of the things has to be technology and social media. Because if you think about the disconnect, it's like, okay, here's how I feel. You know, everything's really hard, but then I'm spending the entire day looking at what everyone else is doing and what where everyone else is and the amazing places they might be, even if the photo was from three years ago and the people that they're with, wherever they are, being like, man, why did they invite me to hang out? Or everyone's life is so cool or everyone's so connected and engaged and happy. And I'm sitting here at home by myself on a Friday night looking at this damn phone. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that has to be a big factor in it, right? Totally. That gap. I mean, I think there's a difference in the world that we're living in in 2021 and the world, certainly the world we used to live in and, you know, as a civilization, you know, years and years and decades and centuries ago where we were in a village of, you know, 10, 15, 20 people that helped us survive, <laughs> Right. As yeah. social beings. But even in just the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, Robert Putnam wrote a book called Bowling Alone 20 years ago that was about the decline of, of community in America. And, you know, you're familiar with that work of kind of the decline of the fabric of community, the, the bowling alleys, the rec halls, the VFW posts, the places that people kind of just used to hang out in social life, churches. And those certainly don't apply in the common, in the current moment, the current era. So, it's there's a variety of factors happening here. People not living close with their parents, increasingly spending living as a young adult away from people that you know. But I think a big piece is the is the the, the technology piece. Yeah, I mean, I remember growing up. You know, we, I had immigrant parents. We didn't have an established community when they moved there. I was born a year after they moved to America, and when I struggled to fit in. I remember just like sitting in my room, just knowing that people were out there hanging out. Sometimes I'd even just like set out on my bike and try to like find groups of people who were doing something. I'd be like, oh, funny to see you here. Maybe I could just hang out with you. Like that kind of desperate. And that was without, you know, phones, social media, the ability to just like constantly see what everyone else is doing in the in the most picture perfect version of it and it was still debilitating for me it was still like crippling loneliness yeah at that stage of my life so i can only imagine what young adults are going through today having that technology just compound that effect right i mean if you don't have people to play with and talk to and hang out with (laughs) you know that's naturally what you're, you know, this is, we're talking kind of biology here. It's, it's physical touch. It's, it's being around people and increasingly young people are not, don't have that certainly in the pandemic, but you know, in just daily life, they don't have that as much. And it's super alarming. I guess like a counterpoint that I could see being made is in, especially in the world that I work in and most of people listen to this podcast work in a building community is yeah, there's that element of seeing what friends are doing and feeling jealousy or feeling left out. But the internet is also giving us access to a much broader set of people and different interests and may give us the ability to find belonging in identities that we aren't able to find on a local level. A hundred percent. It's definitely not an either or, it's a yes and. And this book is not meant to say digital connection is less than or weaker than uh, in-person connection or the technology sucks. Not at all. And that actually wasn't Levi's philosophy either. I'm not a Luddite at all. (laughs) I use technology every day, probably way more than I should. To me, it's a balance. 
there's research that shows uh, John Cassiopo, who wrote a book called Loneliness, was he, he passed away as one of the most kind of foremost, the leading scholar on loneliness uh, in the world. Kind of there was found there was research that he found basically finding that if if social media and tech are used as the way station where people meet people, get new ideas, get inspired, find out about a great product, find out about a great event or community, and then they use that to connect off the platform. Right. They call someone, they message with each other, they work on a project, they meet up in God forbid, they meet up in real life. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's ambitious. Then, then the tech is actually contributing to meaningful connection. It's actually contributing to making people feel better and their social well being. So if it's the place where people find directions, it's very positive. If it's the just the destination, right? If you never get off the hamster wheel. If it's the place where you go and then you're just in the loop forever, scrolling, not ever getting off the platform, kind of always in, in this endless scroll, then it actually is very damaging, unhealthy, and can lead to a lot of bad health outcomes. So it's kind of, it's a yes and. And, you know, I write about in the book, a friend of mine named Liz, who basically thinks that technology and communities online, online community helped save her life. She was suffering from from Lyme disease and chronic fatigue syndrome, which is a disease that, you know, the traditional kind of health world doesn't understand very well. And she found these groups on Instagram and uh, another group on Facebook, Tired Girl Society and More Than Lyme. And there were all these group chat threads and she found other people that were going through the same thing. And they were talking about their treatments and the alternative medications that they were pursuing and their course of diagnosis and how they were dealing with doctors that didn't understand them. And basically, she found her cure. She found things that allowed her to essentially survive and now live a, a much more healthy uh, life. You know, yeah. she'd been self-isolating for 17 years. And this basically technology allowed her to, to begin her life anew and, and refreshed. Yeah. And, you know, that's just one example of us, you know, of that story, you know, and then there's, you know, look at the pandemic of, how technology has allowed us to share resources, support vulnerable communities, give get PPE to those in need, raise money for our, our favorite restaurants and, and essential workers, and support pl- businesses that are going out of business, and connect with our elders and grandparents and friends all across the world and the country. I mean, it's amazing, right? Yeah. Not to mention all of the apps that are helping people, you know, connect intentionally around meaningful connection and how many people have have used these apps to really form what businesses close friendships online dating falling in love right it's a yes and and it's um it's not at all that technology is evil it's that we need to be mindful of our relationships with our devices and with these products and that we though for especially for those that work in technology you know, I, I'm real inspired by the work that the Center for Humane Technology and Tristan Harris are doing around this about designing more healthy technology, right? Designing humane tech and designing for our humanity's best interests and best instincts, not our worst instincts. So not having an algorithm on Facebook where the post is more likely to go viral or get more comments or show up on more feeds, the more angry it is, or the more that it creates a polar polarized right. view of the world, or that there's, you know, words connote that reflect hate or fear or violence in the post. And instead creating technology that's like, hey, would you like to talk to this person? 
we have a private room where, you know, an unencrypted place where you can have a phone conversation or video chat with this person, right? And you can talk about your differences in in politics or or you can share respectfully. Here are some ways to have a productive dialogue, right? Or yeah. guide people on how to actually connect with each other in a healthy way. Hey, you've been on this platform for seven and a half hours. Why don't you get the <laughs> hell off and go outside and play in the sun or call your mom? <laughs> yeah. You could call her right through Facebook. We'll make yeah. it easy. <laughs> hey, and now we'll be uh, selling you a mom uh, product for your mother. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay, so so pretty clear that it's it's a big challenge, and and I think we're still all doing a lot of work, both in terms of people who are building this technology and the people who are using it to make it better. We have a lot of work to do. What would love to get into kind of the practical side of things now. What can people do to enhance the level of meaningful friendship that they have in their life? Sure. I kind of divide this into to six parts in the book. I think the first is being more playful. I really take this from, from the kind of camp lessons of channeling your inner child, trying new things, getting curious. On a basic level, I think this means asking better questions, getting a little bit away from the, how are you? What do you do? You know, where do you work? where do you live kind of questions and really going a little bit deeper and asking someone about their lived experience and what's coming up for them and their fears and their hopes and their dreams and their struggles. Uh, just having those deeper conversations is going to lead to, you guessed it, deeper connection. I think we can, you know, especially when <laughs> we're able to spend more time with people in person, hug people more, have more kind of platonic physical touch. That's, I think, something that the world has been deeply, deeply lacking. There's a lot of data that shows that cultures that have more physical touch, especially towards children, especially for men, are healthier cultures and have less violence and less um, bad, bad outcomes when folks get older. Also on the play piece, having a little bit more of a somatic experience when it comes to the activities we do and, and focusing more on on exercise and dance and play and just being in your body. I also think number two is being a better friend, actually kind of saying, Hey, like I can show up for people more in my life. And I think that starts with a little bit of belonging to yourself first. You know, you're an expert on belonging, but you know, which is a word that I think is used for, to describe many things, but I think it's kind of at the, at the base level of knowing yourself and who you are and feeling comfortable in your own skin and then being able to be comfortable and seen and heard in the places that you show up. It's very hard to do that until you feel that comfort yourself, right? That was my tweet today. Huh, really? Cool. Yeah. The ultimate form of belonging is self-acceptance. Yes. So I think of kind of the Mr. Rogers, you know, example. I mean, I'm, uh, I was born in the, the early 80s, you know, basically, you are, you are okay just the way you are. That's basically the point. Uh, of that show you your feelings matter you are okay i think destigmatizing mental health is a big part of this and accepting yourself and accepting your emotions and your feelings and if you are able to seeing a therapist and making therapy more affordable and accessible to all i think is a big piece of how we can show up better in our relationships and communicate better we need support for that it's not easy to do especially in the world we live in today I think creating space and friendships for people to discuss hard things, not just the good things, is really important. Hmm. 
I'm curious to dive into that a little more. I had Kat Velos recently on the podcast who I know That's amazing. you know really well and y'all have been doing some great Love talks Kat. and stuff together, both uh, have incredible books on the topic of friendship. And we we're talking about this. I think I've had this kind of, I also had this conversation with um Casper Turkile, who was my first guest on the podcast a long time ago. And I hear this advice a lot from people who are talking about like forming more meaningful connection and friendships of like, yeah, don't just ask people how they're doing, like get into the real stuff. But it sounds nice in practice. But if I like went up to someone, you know, we're like hanging out in the park and I'm just like, so like, what's like tearing you apart right now? (laughs) What's the most uh, scary thing happening in your personal life right now? Like it just like, no, you got to start slow. Right, you, know? you have to start slow. <laughs> what are your tips for intentionally and not super awkwardly creating spaces for more meaningful connection, especially for those who aren't expert kind of communicators like you are? Sure. I mean, I I think it's build intimacy slowly. So I talk about in the book a little bit how you know you as a community guy will appreciate this and. We go to a lot of events and I've gone to so many events, especially in San Francisco, where it's like one event, you know, it's 35 minutes, maybe 45 minutes at the end. The organizer's like, we're a family now. We're all community. (laughs) We're all best friends. Like, put your email in here. Like, I hope you enjoyed the free kind bars. Like, you know, thanks for being here. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know anyone here. We did a two minute, you know, uh, one-on-one breakout. I'm not friends with these people, you know, like, mm-hmm. and it's actually doing a disservice to all of those words, friendship, community connection by claiming that it's like, Hey, this was a great 30 minutes. Thanks for being here. We'd love to stay in touch. I hope you met someone interesting. Please follow up with them. And we'd love to see you again next month. That's it. Right. And so it's like, it's kind of building that opening and that container for people to connect, but not assuming or claiming that people are going to be best friends. It's the slow build friendship. Brene Brown talks about kind of the analogy of a jar of marbles. Like that's what it's like to build trust between two people. Every time you have an interaction, a text message, an experience, you're putting in another marble into the jar. And that over time, when you have that full jar of marbles, that's a relationship that has a lot of trust where you can really go deep, where you can even give feedback, maybe helpful criticism, talk about really, really hard things. You can't do that with one marble in the jar, right? And actually, like, not enough marbles. The research kind of, you know, there's research, Jeffrey A. Hall from, uh, I think, University of Kansas talks about this. You actually need to spend 90 hours with someone before they consider you a real friend. Wow. So, Clearly, you can't do that in a 30-minute networking event, right? And you can't do that with a stranger on the waiting for the bus uh, on a, that you pass on the street, right? It takes 50 hours of time to go from acquaintance to casual friend, 90 hours to become a true friend, and actually 200 hours to be close friends and feel an emotional connection with someone. So just kind of knowing that, while it's a little intimidating, it kind of makes it say, okay, we're... <laughs> I'm just going to try to have a meaningful interaction with this person, ask, you know, be curious, make eye contact, listen, right? But start slow, I think. And and another tactic I have in the, I, I mentioned in the book is always go on a second date, you know, which is something that, you know, you could think of for, would be a, a great uh, advice for relationships. My friend Logan Uri, she's a dating coach and just wrote a book, great book called How to Not Die Alone. And she talks about that too. 
basically, if the person isn't a psycho or, or, or isn't making you uncomfortable or saying things that, you know, you, you find incredibly hurtful, basically, if they're interesting, they don't have to be the best person you've ever met in the world. Hang out with them again, right? I talk about a guy uh, in, in the book. I talk about a guy named Sahar, a friend of mine who always, again, this is a pre-COVID example, always has a monthly potluck on the calendar. So whenever he meets someone interesting, he has a friendship card, which is basically a business card, but a friendship card. It says, let's be friends on it with his name, email, and phone number. It makes the other person have to reach out if they're interested in getting in touch. And he invites them to his, uh, to his monthly potluck. It's always on the calendar. So it's a repeat event. He brings back, you know, he invites his other friends there so they can make connections with new people and all of that collaboration can happen. And it's just simple. And it creates kind of that regular heartbeat of connection, which, you know, psychology shows also the mere exposure effect. The more you spend time with someone, the more you see them, the more likely you are to like them. So it's it's kind of building that slowly without jumping in immediately. I think right. it's important. I also think the one-on-one is crucial. You know, I think especially, you know, now that spending a, a year, more than a year on in Zoom life, you know, with the three people, five people, 10 people, 35 people on the screen, it's very totally. hard to get that depth. Yeah. When we're able to go back in person and take those walks, have those coffee dates, have dinner with people, go on trips with people one-on-one, there's just so much more space and potential totally. to go deep. And, you know, a lot of the the research that I found shows that that's what people are really, you know, one of the, you know, loneliness or, or lack of friendship or that friendship gap that people are talking about is they they have a lot of connections, but they're surface level connections. And what folks are really looking for is that that depth that Casper, actually, you mentioned Casper, Casper to Kyle calls it like, who are my five people? Who's bringing the birthday cake to my party? Yeah, right. It's not like who's going to comment on my Facebook post or who did I meet at that conference that I see at the other 16 conferences that we go to because we're into the same, you know, stuff. We're in the same industry. It's who's going to bring the birthday cake to the party. Who can I call when I'm sick? Right. Who can I call when the shit goes down? Knowing who those people are and taking time even to reflect who they are. And it's all good if you don't have those people. That's kind of another point I make. But taking the time to be like, okay, I need to find those people, or I have a few people that I think they might be those people, I'm going to ask them, or I'm going to invite them in so that we can go deeper so that they can become those people is really important. We don't take that much time in our adult lives to do that. I think when we're kids, we spend our entire lives obsessing about our friends and who they are and who's my best friend. And, you know, that's all that's our entire existence is friends and play we don't do that as adults and we're not encouraged to and there are very few spaces to do that you know there are a lot of spaces to connect in a business context these days right around networking there's a lot of spaces to connect dating and meeting new people which is great there's very few friend spaces i mean kat velas is an amazing example of someone who builds these spaces and her connection club and she she was doing that in person and now she does it virtually that's amazing there's very few places where you can it's uh, the container is set up to be a friendship container, right? It's usually set up to be a kind of business networking container, which is also useful and can provide great value and may lead to friendship. But there's very few spaces where it's like, Hey, I'm looking to become closer friends with someone. Oh, you too, you too. Amazing. Cause there's already that, that intention you're bought in versus the person you were talking about when you're like, I'm going to randomly go up to this person and be like, 
you know, what's your deepest regret that you have? Or who's the person you haven't called uh, in your life that you want to call? What would you tell them? Like, you can't jump to that. Right. Well, it's also like awkward for adults, right? It's like, totally. we, it's, it like feels a little embarrassing to go to an event to make friends. And so we, we try to find all these workarounds of like going to a cooking class or going to a yes. club or like other things that still may not be professional, but it's like, you know, you, you hope that you'll find friends there. But I think there's a massive opportunity to create spaces that create activities that make it less awkward, but with the intention specifically of we are trying to help you find people that will become deep friends. Right. And I, you know, in writing this book, I also wanted to normalize that a little bit. You know, I think I wanted to reduce the stigma of loneliness. You know, when I was first, uh, when we were, when I pitched this book, when I wrote the book proposal, you know, this was my title. I was like, this is the title. This is the book. It's got to be this title. And my publisher actually bought the book with the stipulation that they were going to change the title. And so eventually they came around, you know, we, we came up with other titles and I, and at the end of the day, they were like, you know what? We love your title the best, especially then the pandemic <laughs> happened. So there's a little bit of kind of accepting this and saying, hey, we're all looking for this. You know, I consider myself an incredibly social person, as I imagine you do. You know, I have thousands of Facebook friends. I have followers on social media. I'm a socially active person. You know, my my life is around community and meeting people and going to events and speaking at events. And I feel and have felt deep, deep loneliness in recent years. Right. I, I live a, a life that is the opposite of social isolation. Up until, you know, a few months ago, I was living with 12 people in a community house, <laughs> in a co-living house. Right. I did the same thing. Yeah. Both of us had the, the co-living situation. Yeah. And, and now I live just with my partner, which is wonderful. And, and living in a group house is wonderful. But I still felt loneliness there. And it's like that's the most polar opposite of, of yeah. what most people are facing. So did the point being we need more spaces to talk about it. We need to talk, we need to normalize it. And that it's also, it's okay to be lonely. It's okay to feel lonely, right? It's okay for this to come in waves. It's not, you know, it's not something that's going to, you're going to flip on a switch and say, I moved into a community house, no more loneliness. I met, you know, great partner. I'm in a great relationship. No more loneliness. I finally found a job. I love no more loneliness. I wrote a book, no more loneliness. No, that's not how it goes. It's much more about having the language, the tools, the inspiration, the kind of community, really the people in your corner, the believers to get you through it and to create that kind of support system mm -hmm. to get you through it and to look out for other people that don't have that and try to bring them along with us, right? Totally. That, that's a big piece too. I really like your point of uh, the one-on-one -on -one as well. That, that kind of jumped out at me because I'm pretty fortunate actually. I have a group of friends that are like family to me in San mm. Francisco. Very, very close group of friends. We see each other pretty much every week during COVID, usually Beautiful. more often than that before. But like, I would find that a lot of the time we would often hang out in a group because like we're all really close with each other. And so we'd hang out with three, four, five, six of us. And that's a lot of fun, but it's a very different experience than when I do end up spending time one-on-one -on -one with someone in the group. And we go out to lunch or have a drink or take a hike together. We end up the type of conversations you can have with someone one on one are extremely different than as soon as you add one more person, it just completely changes the dynamic of the conversation. Mm, 
Totally, of course, because then it's like you got to catch up, people. Oh yeah, we were doing this. This is where this story comes from. This was the this is the inside joke. Yeah, you just you just like have to now consider two people that you're sharing intimately with. Totally, and you have to give space to each person equally, ideally, and so now you have three people that want to like share and talk. As opposed to like one-on-one, you're just like really going deep on each other and like giving each other your full attention. Yes. And all the context is like, it's like 100% the context that that person already has about you and the conversations you already had. There is no, you know, catching up or trying to consider what context everyone has and how much everyone knows. Right. Yeah. Honor the one-on-one. I have a little section in the book about that. I mean, group hangs are great and small group hangs are great and large group hangs are important and there's a place for them. But that, you know, that's more of what I, again, this was all kind of in a pre-pandemic context. One of the things I wanted more in my life is more one-on-ones, yeah. right? More of those I deep like hangs and, and more one-on-ones. Yeah. I think like, a message that I'm hearing from you is just like, it's a, it's not about one thing that's going to solve this problem for you. It's usually for people who have, you know, a very healthy state of relationships in their life. It's a diversity of different forms, whether it's the large community you participate in for your hobby or a health issue that you're dealing with to smaller groups and gatherings, uh, having weak ties that you can continue to engage with all the way down to like the most intimate one-on-one experiences. Yeah, it's an intention. You know, the what I wanted to kind of create was kind of what I call a cookbook for friendship in the age of loneliness. Basically, uh, you know, if you think about a cookbook, when you're hungry, you pick up a recipe that's exciting to you and you cook it and you skip over the ones that you're like, nah, we made that last week or I'm not feeling that right now or I don't want to go to the store for that, right? And mm-hmm. it's this is not one... You know, I hate to be <laughs> to break it, but it's solving loneliness or curing loneliness or finding deep friendship is not going to be solved by, you know, one thing, one day, one person. It's a, it's a lifelong intention and it's it's building a meaningful life. And it takes a lot of effort and trying a lot of things and doing making a lot of effort. And basically, yeah, I think attention, intention is probably the word of putting friendship, spending more time thinking about friendship, being a better friend, staying in touch and the other message is that that's enough, that developing deeper friendships or thinking of two to three people in your life that you want to spend more time with is that's a worthy goal. That's a beautiful thing to do, that we don't have to kind of get to this, you know, we're always growth mindset and scaling and maximizing and cool. But I actually think that the goal here is a little bit of the opposite. It's be a little bit more simple and kind of reduce your goals in terms of metrics and go a little bit deeper and just have more, put friendship more at the center of your life, spend more time with your friends. And if you're doing that, like you, you check the box, like that's the goal. Like there isn't anything greater than that. And that can be enough. And that can be a really worthy, powerful thing to do in your life. And will have ripple effects in all aspects of of everything else that you're doing. Love it. Last question, and then I want to dive into our rapid fire question round. For the people on this who listen to this podcast who are building communities, what advice do you have for them to create spaces that give people in their community the opportunity to form deeper friendships? Yeah, I mean, I think, and you know, specifically when it comes to the the workplace, I think you know we're both writing and speaking a lot about belonging in a remote workforce and a hybrid workforce, and the importance of belonging today. 
I think bringing friendship more into the workplace, bringing the human connection, the fact that we are groups of people that are working together and we are whole people that are going through a lot of hard things, talking about that more at work. Uh, this is definitely something that has not been done always, especially in a corporate environment, but having more space for people to have check-ins at the start of meetings, to, to actually bring their whole selves to work. There's data that shows that employees who have a best friend at work are seven times more engaged with their work. Someone that they actually hang out with that ha outside of work when they're doing nothing related to work, when they actually go back and do their work, they're way more engaged, more productive, more creative, happier, all the things. Bringing that in, right? Having more play, more team building, more creative retreats, especially when we're able to do that stuff in person, but even virtually having a space at the start of a Zoom call for people to have a check-in, right? Having people share something that's going on in their life, having people talk about their hobbies, their dreams, their activities, their passions that ha don't have anything to do with their role or exactly what they're working on is going to kind of create a little bit more of a bridge for connection, more space for that and naming it. And then, of course, on the flip side of that, having more support, mental health resources, access to support in a work context or a community context for the emotional well-being of people, especially this was again, I was talking about this and this is a huge thing prior to the pandemic, right? Skyrocketing rates of employee burnout, especially among young people and millennials, but uh, frankly, among people of all ages. And now, of course, with the effects of the pandemic, creating space in our communities for emotional well-being, emotional wellness, emotional fitness, mental health, I believe is, is probably one of the most important conversations to have in the next five to 10 years alongside, you know, diversity, inclusion, employee engagement, you know, the, the mental health piece, because if people are not well, if people are not healthy, if people are not sleeping well, if people are not feeling well, how can they possibly do good work? How can they possibly yeah. show up in community? How can they make an impact? How can they make profit? They can't do anything if they're not well, right? It's yeah. fundamental. So, you know, businesses that ignore that because they think it's soft, will ignore it at their own peril. Yeah. We just did a workshop at Bevy and CMX on mental health and had us kind of like audit our life and like wellness in different areas of our life. And then we had group discussions on it. And it was like the most connected I felt to mm. the other members of the team since the pandemic started, um, just being able to like be real and be like, yes. yeah, this is, this is hard and I'm stressed and, and you know, you're stressed too. Oh, okay, good. I'm not the only one. Totally. Let's talk about it and like create a better space for it. So I want to, I actually want to keep bringing that back to our company and like create ongoing spaces to have that conversation. Cause I agree. I think it's absolutely critical. All right. We are at our rapid fire question round. Everyone's favorite part of the show. <laughs> Smiley. Are you ready for the rapid fire question round? I'm ready. I was like, where's the theme music? I'm expecting it to be like, there it is. That was the theme music. Beautiful. We're just going to use that exact clip in all future episodes. Beautiful. It's going to be the smiley theme music. Have me also asking before that, where's the theme music? <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, my first question, what's your go-to pump-up song? Oh, well, for this, it's got to be Robin, Hang With Me. Robin, Hang With Me. Love it. All right. Next one. What's your favorite book to give as a gift to others that isn't your own? Uh, Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art. Ah, that's a really good one. Why is that your favorite one to give? It's a book that basically I believe that I probably would have never, you know, written a book without it. It's kind of, you know, 
that and Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott are kind of the two books that are like got me through the early stages of discovering myself as an author. And I, I go back to them. I read them kind of every couple years. So you know that a book is means something to you if you've already read it fully and you're reading it cover to cover again. Yeah. More than twice. Right. That's like, okay. Those are there's not many books like that for me. Totally. Love it. All right. In one minute, what's your wildest community story? Oh, man. <laughs> I could share a Burning Man story or Campground story. I think I'll share just the, the community that changed my life. And when I when I think of the word community, the first campground that comes to mind, but the, what kind of launched me on my current life, my current career trajectory and, and defined who I am today is Starting Block, the Starting Block Institute for Social Innovation, which is a leadership development program that happens. It's five days. It's a five-day institute. happens several times a year. And I went to it in LA uh, 2012, I was working a job uh, for the federal government in DC. I really didn't like what I was doing and was ready for a change, but had no idea what to do. A friend of mine told me about Starting Block, this place for people that are interested in social impact, social innovation, social entrepreneurship. I was in this room of 90 people, ages you know 20 to 40, and it just knocked me out of my sleep. I felt like I was sleepwalking and, and confused. And I was almost, I was 29 at the time or almost 30. So it wasn't like I was right out of college. I had been kind of living for 10 years post-college, not knowing who I was and what I wanted to do. And being in that room and being around those people springboarded me to deciding to quit my job in D.C., move across the country to San Francisco at the age of 30 and become a writer with actually no plan beyond that you know, to start wow. a blog and become a writer. So it was the kind of the conversation there that I had with a buddy, my buddy, Evan Walden was, he basically asked me why else would, why else would you be doing something other than reaching your full potential? And mm. I was like, yeah, why else? You know, and no one had ever, I, I wasn't in the kind of, you know, personal growth world. I wasn't in the San Francisco world. I wasn't in an entrepreneurship world. I had Never really experienced that in my 10 years of post-college adulthood or near 10 years of post-college adulthood. And so I attribute that community to kind of basically, that's the reason I'm able, I'm doing what I do today. Nothing I would, I would have never written a book or written three books or moved to California or started my own business or anything without that experience. So, well, that's the power of community right there. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing. All right. Next question. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? No. <laughs> okay. Okay. No, I'm a barefoot sandals guy. I want to get a pair of, I have reefs. I want to get a pair of the the rubber Birkenstocks because they seem, they look awesome. And my partner, Ali has them and they're, you can get them wet and they just seem like the ideal summer sandal. Oh, wow. I didn't know they had rubber ones. I just purchased a new pair of Birkenstocks. So yeah, feeling good today. Feeling really yeah. good. I'm going to get that brand new pair. I haven't worn them with socks yet though. I'm going to get that to celebrate this summer. I'm going to get that. That's actually after we talk, this is your Birkenstock sponsorship, by the way. Yeah, there you go. Treat yourself. I've definitely just bought some random shit during quarantine. Just because I'm just like, (laughs) fuck it. I need something. I'm not going out or spending money there. So I'm going to buy some random Japanese chimes on the internet. Right. Okay. (laughs) Next question. Who in the world of community would you most like to take out for lunch? That's a great question. Priya Parker would be kind of cool. Mm. I admire her work a lot. It would have to be a pretty awesome lunch. Like she probably struggles yeah, exactly. now. Like everyone's like, so yeah. what's uh, what's the really 
the novel universe you created for us for lunch. He's like, oh, actually, I just thought we'd. <laughs> yeah, it's like you want to go to like Tender Greens or uh, what's the like mix? Yeah, Chipotle, you know, like and she's like, uh, OK, <laughs> um, that's a great one. You have to plan like a six stage, you know, picnic <laughs> with multiple people and multiple prompts. And but yeah, very high standards for one. That's a great one. She's awesome. She's really Amazing rad. Book. Yeah. What's a community product you wish existed? I think, you know, some of the things we were talking about in terms of the app world that would basically be add-ons to say, hey, do you want to connect with this person and plan a time to meet in real life? You know, do you want to get off this app and go do X? Uh, Mm. I think some of those are starting to exist. Yeah. But I'd really like that. You know, if like even in Clubhouse now where, you know, if it kind of just said, okay, this is cool, but why don't you all like hang out? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Split out into one on one. You've been talking a lot about things. Are you just, you know, talking about how great you are? Or do you like actually maybe want to go build and create something in the world together? Here's a playbook for how to go do that. Like step one. The answer is no. They just want to talk. (laughs) Yeah. Here's a 50 page PDF that's going to help you create something meaningful in the world together. Right. That type of thing. I also think it'd be really cool if there was a product that, you know, it's kind of like next door, but like with a, a lens on equity if it basically was like here's your community here's your neighbors here are people that actually really need things right now need support here's how you could help them you know this mm-hmm. person's looking for childcare. this person's looking for a mentor to write their book this person you know basically needs money to send their kid to school this person needs someone to help pick up groceries because they you know are aren't able to walk outside or they're sick right those kind of exist but it'd be really cool if it was really streamline on basically like you kind of had to be on that <laughs> you know you have it's not like you have to opt in it's like you live here you yeah. benefit from this neighborhood are you supporting the people that are in need that don't have mm. the type of community like and that. support that you have apply the kibbutz rules to yes, every neighborhood the kibbutz rules. <laughs> you gotta pull your own weight all right what's the weirdest community you've ever been a part of i'll say my burning man camp zen as fuck zen as fuck that sounds pretty weird <laughs> good people though then yeah weird in a beautiful way you have to be a burning man everyone's weird in a beautiful way there yeah all right last question if you were to find yourself on your deathbed today and you condense all of your life lessons into one twitter-sized piece of advice for the rest of the world on how to live what would that advice be find believers find more people that believe in the beauty of your dreams Mm, i like that a lot all right smiley well we could talk about friendship and community for hours on (laughs) end but I highly recommend everyone pick up the book. It's awesome. You're going to learn a ton, not just about building friendship for yourself, but how you can bring more friendship into your communities and into people that are in your life. You're you're always an inspiration. Like I said, since I saw you speak, I was like, all right, I want to be as good at speaking as that that guy and have learned a ton from you. And you've been a huge support for me in my career and and getting my book out and just super grateful for the, the example you're setting for others and the amount of heart that you put into everything you write and everything you do you always live it fully and just really grateful for you man appreciate that david thanks for that and everyone should buy your book as well the business of belonging (laughs) anywhere that you want to send people to continue to learn from you uh where where do you like them to buy your book so yes please buy friendship in the age of loneliness wherever you love to buy books amazon's great bookshop.org is great support indie bookstores if you can uh, you can check out my website at smileypaswalski.com and follow me on uh, all the things, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter. Awesome. 
All right, Smiley, thanks so much for joining me. We'll see you all next time. Thanks for having me. Thanks, David. The Masters of Community is brought to you by CMX, the world's largest network of community professionals, and Bevy, the enterprise platform powering communities for the world's leading brands. This episode was edited and produced by Finesse Media. Music was provided by Seiji Cataldo, and design was provided by Virginia DeMarco. If you enjoyed this episode, please drop us a review in iTunes. It's a huge help for helping us get this podcast in front of more people. We really, really appreciate it. And share it with your networks. The more people that learn about the power of community, the better. We have a new episode every week. So until then, thank you so much for listening and see you next time.